You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. All right. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. I'm TomTheBomb.com, and I'm here with... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, a.k.a. Poncherelli. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now you have a new nickname that you want to start calling Absolutely. Me. You know, we may come up with a few more before this uh, podcast is said and done. It all depends on how mad I make you at me. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> or your wife gets mad and calls and tells me to use a name. We might not want to use those names. Oh, come on. That'll be fun. <laughs> but I'm Susan Simmons, uh, president of Under the Shield and founder of this group of crazy people that Literally do what crazy. we do. Yeah, no kidding. And getting crazier by the day. <laughs> Jeez, you'd think we'd be getting saner, but that's not true. What fun is that? That's right. <laughs> Got to keep you on your toes. You know, I hadn't hardly seen you this this last week and a half. Where you been hiding? What's up with that? Um, my wife's been keeping me busy doing Christmas decorations. And he loves it. He told me uh, he can't wait to get home and, the worst. and put up more lights <laughs> and, and as many Christmas trees as he can find. She and, can't even fit her vehicle in the garage right now because I emptied the garage so we could get rid of some Christmas stuff. And it's a oh, disaster. I, I think you're going to be like the Griswolds and have no. stuff all I used to be. We used to do that. Not anymore. We're trying to downsize. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Sure. Yeah, I'll let y'all know how that works. We'll see <laughs> after Tom finishes all of all of his... Uh, uh, what are you doing out there? You're expressing your inner inner kid. I'm with- not. I'm not doing that. I just put up what Tracy says. You just do as you're yeah. told. What a Try. good husband. Do this, do that. Put it there. Right. No, move it now over there. Take those lights down. She's you pretty just good about knowing what she wants <laughs> and where, but. Yeah, but she ought to mess with you anyway. No, she does. Anyway, we have a, a really special guest today that I'm excited about because it's also a big announcement. Yes. For Under the Shield, which is huge for us that we're excited about. So we're going to let our guest tell us all about who she is and what she's done and um, where she is currently and all the stuff that she's involved in. And Sonia, we are just honored to have you here. And what better day to do this than today? I tell you, Susan, it's a great day. Every day is a good day. And I want to thank you and Tom and Under the Shield for um, welcoming, welcoming us to the family. Absolutely. We appreciate yes. being in your family. Uh, we all are, you know, connected by our thin blue line, and somehow we always seem to gravitate together. Yes, <laughs> somewhere in the world, do we not? No matter right. where we are or what we're doing, we always find each other like yes. a magnet. It may take a while, but we eventually get there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we do, and um, we're just super excited about our new partnership. Things that we can do together to to bring um, good lifestyle skills to our federal law enforcement officers, especially the federal air marshals. Um, I started my career back in, I'm going to date myself now, (laughs) 1989. What a great year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hair hair bands on Daytona beach, working spring break with Daytona beach police department. Did you have big hair? Come on in the eighties. You had huge hair. hair. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? That's why we get my hair was so, so, my hair was so big. They gave me a bicycle to ride around. It wouldn't even fit in the patrol car. (laughs) 
it's yeah, it was way out. I was way out there. And Aquanet had the Aquanet, yes. you know, had it, it never moved. Hair it was the perfect move. picture. Wow. Hurricane. I'll send you a, that's right. And even on, over on the beach side, you couldn't get my eyelashes would move before my hair did. So but, you those know. were the good old days. <laughs> they were, hey, and it's MTV days back in Daytona Beach. So working as oh, yes. a police officer you know, on, on the street in Daytona was, it was a lot of fun times, no doubt about it. You know, I was probably somebody you dealt with. <laughs> and I, I, I kept my uh, photo ID card, you know, from out, out on the street when I talked to people, but they were Polaroids then and they cost us $9 a piece. So I had to be very specific Absolutely. on whose picture I took because it was very expensive for the department to use, you know, a roll of film. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd forgotten about those things, the instant, right. instant yeah. pictures. And I don't know why everybody always would shake it. You had to dry it off. <laughs> you had to make sure that baby was dry. If you just set it down, it also appeared. <laughs> I, it, it was just so fun, though. You know what I mean? It was so, it was so it was much like fun magic. trying to get it to develop. It, it was faster um, that way, Tom. Yeah. It was faster. <laughs> you know, and that, that's such a funny story because at the police department, you know, Daytona, we weren't a very, we weren't a very big department. And we did, we would get, you know, called on the carpet for using too, too much film. So what we would do is we would pretend to roll up at a certain scene where, you know, maybe somebody had made a complaint about drugs being sold and we would just pull the camera out and use the flash. There would be no film, but then everybody would just, everybody would disperse thinking we got them on camera, but we really didn't because there was no film in the camera. Boy, so, we've come a long way in our day, are, haven't we? Was are that you, the Polaroid? Are you kidding that, me? <laughs> was that the Polaroid that had the flash built in, or that you had to change the flash? Put that ball button. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was a flat. It was a built-in one. It was the okay. one you could use over and over. She had the more modern version yeah. than we had. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was great driving around with that thing because people thought you were taking their picture, but they didn't. Yeah. They would just take off on foot, and you're like, "Hey, crowd dispersed. It's beautiful. <laughs> Job done." Shame that doesn't work these days. Now they want the cameras. They're all videoing. Right. Taking pictures. So, so opposite now, isn't it? Isn't that amazing how people used to run away from the camera and now they run to it? Well, I tell you, the one thing I remember as a kid, we used to go to Daytona Beach almost every uh, every summer. Of course, I wasn't a kid in 89. I actually had one child already. Um, but I remember the coolest part of it because we'd also gone to beaches on the South Carolina coast, which was home. But to be able to drive on the beach in Daytona <laughs> Beach was the coolest thing. And seeing y'all put police cars and and the lifeguard trucks and stuff on the beach, that was just the coolest stuff back then. Hey, I enjoyed my detail. I actually got a, a spot on the equestrian unit, the mounted unit. Nice. So my job was riding my horse up and down the beach Nice um, for five years, which was incredible detail and talk about fun. Who doesn't want to go to the beach every day? <laughs> and especially have a horse where nobody's right. going to challenge you because the horse will I, I stomp mean, you. Right. <laughs> I what what a great detail. And the horses love the beach, and you know, they love being outside. And sure. and I have to tell you, I got into some pretty um, strange situations with my horse. If you've ever been to Daytona and seen, we've got a band shell, the amphitheater that's on the beach. Mm-hmm. It's like a half shell. It's a big, you know, yep. that we host outdoor concerts. So one time I had the brilliant idea. I used to love to get pictures of me with my police horse in places that people didn't think we could go. <laughs> so um, I did. I, I always thought, yeah, we can do that. We can go in the building. We sure. can go up in the elevator. We can, oh, you know. Geez. So oh, one afternoon I had a bright idea that I was going to get my horse to go into the band shell, you know, climb up the stairs and we'd take pictures inside. <laughs> it sounded great, right? Sure. And it was, and it was great. It was great for a while. He, his name was Diablo. He walked up the stairs and we got inside the, 
the band <laughs> shell and my partner was taking some pictures and we were laughing and giggling until it was time for us to leave. Uh-oh. Well, horse didn't want to come down. <laughs> he wanted to stay in the band shell. Mind you not, there's a show getting ready. There's people bringing in um, their equipment for sound and, and now, get, you know, there's a crowd gathering that's getting ready for the, the show to start. And I'm standing up in here in the amphitheater <laughs> with my police horse pulling. But I've, got, I've dismounted this point. I'm pulling. I'm begging. I'm like, please, Diablo, please, please come down. He would not come down. I was stuck there for almost two hours inside the band shell. Oh, no. my, par- my partner had to go to the horse truck and get a, a bucket of feed to come back to get the horse down. So I have to tell you, there's been some pretty incredible stories with me and that police horse and, <laughs> it, it, and pulling some stunts in Daytona that were pretty cool. I can only, I, you know, I, I remember living in New Orleans and you'd be in these small bars and all of a sudden here'd come NOPD mounted patrol walking in with a draft horse into the bar. And you're like, well, that'll break up a drunk in a hurry. <laughs> it'll, yeah. It'd make you sober up real fast. Did that more than them on one occasion, as you can imagine, spring break in Daytona, oh, um, yeah. bike week, oh, race bike week. week. We get, we get, yeah, we get some pretty rowdy crowds. So the police horse was fantastic to to go into the crowds or even into the bar or yeah. you know climb in the back of a truck. It didn't matter; they would go anywhere. <laughs> the good old days. Do anything days. you ask. Yeah, yeah and we didn't even know days. they were the good old days. Uh, that's that's right. the sad part. Yeah. So how long? Man. How long did you work at Daytona? So I was at Daytona Beach. Uh, first, I started off as a part-time officer in 1989, and I was there and rose to the rank of sergeant. I did the bike patrol, the marine patrol, the horse patrol, um, did a stint as the hostage negotiation, as a hostage negotiator, and then moved up to a hostage negotiation supervisor, got promoted to sergeant. And I was there until 2000, June of 2002. Um, I answered the call of duty after September the 11th. I came home on midnight shift on September the 11th that morning. I was cooking some breakfast and turned the TV on and saw the first plane hit the um, Twin Towers. And I knew immediately something was not right um, to see a large aircraft like that fly into a building. You know, first you think maybe the pilot had a heart attack or some type of medical issue could have potentially happened. Sure. You just knew it wasn't, it wasn't, Normal. It wasn't that easy to fly a plane into the building or fly that low without the co-pilot taking over controls. And as we're like everyone else was watching the first, the first airplane hit the building, the second one crashed a short time later. Yeah. And then I knew immediately we were under attack um, in our country. And it moved me so much after we finally found out everything that had happened from, you know, the Pentagon to uh, United 93 going down. Mm-hmm. Um, at that moment, I think my life changed forever in the way that I, I looked at what happened in our country and how vulnerable we were sure. for an attack in our own backyard. Hmm. Um, a short, short period later, this was in September, about October, November, we got a bolo, a nationwide bolo that came out the old fashioned way over teletype. It was <laughs> over our briefing Yep. that, you know, the federal air marshal service was looking for federal air marshals. And that you could call a phone number. And I called the phone number and they mailed out an application for me. It was an old bubble style application where you <laughs> fill it in with a pencil. Wow. If you were interested and mailed it back, um, they actually flew me out to Atlantic City, New Jersey for an interview. 
in February 2002 and actually took the job, got hired. Uh, I was in college finishing up my four-year degree. So they allowed me to finish my college, which ended in, you know, at the end of May. And I went to training in Artesia, New Mexico in June of 2002. Wow. wow. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty incredible time to go to Artesia and train. Uh, we were there for around almost eight weeks of training. And then later on, we did an additional six weeks in Atlantic City. And I graduated and became a full-fledged air marshal. Now, were and, all the air marshals at that time laterals coming out of somewhere else? Or did you have some that were not even law enforcement at all? We did have some that weren't, weren't in law enforcement. We had, we had some that were laterals that were already in the federal law enforcement system. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot of air marshals that were prior military. Uh, we had some that were, you know, no law enforcement experience. We had some that were accountants that, that you know, came out of the woodwork and the, wanted to serve their country. Wow. That had maybe some prior military, but weren't currently serving in military. So we had a plethora, of, a big melting pot of prior service military, uh, prior law, you know, federal law enforcement. We had a lot of state, local police officers, mm-hmm. too, that applied. Yeah, I knew of some of the younger ones. And, you know, uh, I know there was some pretty high turnover at one point early on in all of this after 9-11 because some of the younger ones really didn't quite know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and really, I don't even remember hearing about the FAMs prior to 9-11. I, I know they were around, but it just really wasn't anything right. you heard about. Right. It, it actually started in 1963 with JFK. He actually he actually established the first um, federal air marshal service. It was it was more of a it was called a different like civil aviation patrol then because of the hijackings okay. that were occurring. So JFK actually started the program back in 1963. So it's been around a long time. It's changed hands and gone from the FAA over to ICE Immigrations and Customs and then back to the FAA um, in 2001, when they stood the, our program up to the level it is now, you know, thousands of air marshals, there were only 33 that were working prior to 2001. Wow. And they, yeah, 33. And they mainly traveled to international locations. Mm-hmm. Our, our group was the first lo- uh, group that actually flew domestics and international. So we had a lot of domestic travel within all 50 states. And then blended with international travel as well. Wow. Yeah, the, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago for 9-11, but when you do look at all the changes that have happened in the... I'm <laughs> right. getting old. That's uh, right. The days are going by and the years are going by way too fast. It's It's been a pretty, what can I say, eye-opening experience to go from uh, a small department in Daytona Beach you know, very small, a uh, couple hundred officers into the federal government where there's, you know, thousands and thousands. Um, for me, this this past 20 plus years of, of having the experience within the government, although I retired in, in 2014, I've had to stay along to help my colleagues because I haven't seen the camaraderie that I did within the local police department Mm -hmm. that I have, that I, that is missing from the federal air marshal service, the esprit de corps, the, the, 
what can I say, but the behind the scenes sticking together as law enforcement does, it was, it was completely different for me coming over from, from a local police department into the government. But how much interaction do the federal air marshals have with each other? It's, it's very limited at times because, you know, we travel in pairs and when you're traveling, you got to think most of the time we, we do get to hang out some in the airport. We get to talk pre-flight. Right. But when you're on these flights and you're flying an international mission and you're, you know, the doors closed on the aircraft and you got 12 or 13, 14 hour flight ahead of you, um, you're alone a lot. You're very isolated. Right. You get to talk to your partners. You don't have a lot of in-flight communications. You really don't want other individuals to know who you're traveling with. So you don't communicate. You don't go and stand by each other's seat or sit by each other. So no one really knows who you are. Right. When you land in a foreign location, you're usually exhausted. <laughs> um, you check into your hotel. There may be a little downtime, but not a lot. Most of the times when we do international travel, it's pretty brutal. You're on the ground and at a foreign location, probably less than 16 hours a lot of the times. And then you're back up and you're flying back the next day. Now, I have to so ask. there's not a lot of downtime. When you are in these international locations... How is your firearm treated? Are you allowed to maintain that with you no matter where you are? You are not. You have to. That's when we go into a, a, a different country, we have a customs agreement worked out with that country, an uh, international agreement, that those firearms are turned in at their customs location. Okay. And they are left in a secure location while you were in country. And then when you come back to the airport to check in for your mission, you pick up your weapon at that point. Okay. And that's all international travel. Correct. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, you know, now currently your position is executive director. Yes, ma'am. Executive director. For the Federal Air Marshal National Council. I want to make sure I'm getting the name right. Correct. Okay. And that, is I sent you the text last night, Tom, the great news that they were doing the press release and it got released today yeah. that um, this, and really y'all are kind of the union or association or whatever for the federal air marshals, correct? We are, Susan. We provide legal services uh, from every every aspect of someone that what, what could happen in your career. We built a legal service plan basically because of needs that we, things that happened to myself and other air marshals within the agency, and we did not have a resource for that area. Um, we built a legal service plan that would cover each and every one of those pitfalls, so to speak, that you might fall in mm -hmm. and not have uh, the appropriate direction or knowledge or expertise to be able to, to get through that. And that would be, you know, being injured on duty. Uh, filing a workers' comp claim, negotiating the Department of Labor, which is a, an outside entity from the Federal Air Marshal Service, understanding the paperwork, understanding how you keep your claim open and you receive treatment, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times within the FAM service, one thing that I found very, um, I didn't really understand is when an air marshal filed a, a workers' comp claim, let's say they twisted their knee on a run or they hurt their ankle. Mm -hmm. They were actually targeted within the within the field office as a person that was trying to game the system. 
So Jeez. yeah, you, you, you were, act, I'm serious. You were actually ostracized within the office, uh, isolated, treated very, very poorly. Wow. If you filed a worker's comp claim. So these are things that I experienced within the office. These are things I saw uh, my colleagues experience. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we built this legal service plan now with the Air Marshal National Council that pro- provides you coverage in any situation that you may be involved with within the workplace. Now, like other federal law enforcement agencies, do y'all have the minimum, like you have to be hired by 37 and retire at 57? Like eighteen eleven, are y'all actually eighteen elevens? No, we are considered an eighteen oh one, a a series eighteen oh one. You must be hired by the time that you're thirty seven. Okay. They did provide waivers in the very beginning of the FAM program back in two thousand and one. They gave waivers to those that were forty because they were trying to beef up the numbers. Sure. So, but they they since stopped that you know providing a waiver. So they do want you to retire when you're 57. Sure. Dang, wouldn't that just be awful? (laughs) It it has been really tough. Shut up, Tom. (laughs) I swear I'm coming up with new names for you already. These people in their retirements, and I'll die doing this, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, And I don't want to get into SSI stuff, obviously, but are you guys hurting for fams just like state and local and others I, and i don't even know that the bureau is hurting i don't know that dea is hurting haven't asked any of them i know border patrol we're getting word from them that they're struggling trying to recruit people right. but are the fams having the same problem getting good qualified people well they are we have lost probably 50 percent of our workforce since wow. 2001 wow mm. and that could be the attrition of um non-fulfillment of a position mm-hmm. that could be um, someone that got injured medically and had to medically retire. Um, it could be somebody just saying, Hey, I'm out of here. This is not what I thought it was going to be, you know, high speed, low drag kind of, kind of situation. Sure. Um, we're in desperate need of hiring more air marshals. Our probably I'd say another 30% of our workforce will be eligible for retirement in 2022. Many came on in 02. So they're coming on their 20 year mark. So they're, they're, you know, they're going to be out of here as soon as they possibly can. They're done. Has there been a freeze during this time? Has there been a freeze in hiring that has kind of caused this? Like I know some state troopers, like I know in Alabama, they didn't hire for a number of years. And then all of a sudden they opened it up and they could never get caught up, you know, from that many years of not hiring? Yeah, we've asked this question a lot by the agency. Even recently, we posed this to a lot of our congressional uh, leaders because we do a lot of work with the uh, Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee. On the Senate side, we do House Homeland on the House side. So we, we actually have a lot of congressional representation that we bring to Congress to let them know this is the issues going on within the Federal Air Marshal Service, and we want to help showcase how you can make it better for the next generation of air marshals. I mean, our air marshals are getting ready to retire. Most of them in 2022, not much you can do for them. Now we're, we're on the cusp of that whole era gone. So we're, those of us with experience are trying to stay here to say, Hey, we want to have the best leanest, meanest fighting force when it comes to getting terrorists that, that needs to be in place. 
we currently don't have that. We've asked the question is, why is the agency not hiring? We don't understand why they're not replacing the air marshals as they're leaving the agency are retiring. There's no plan. I think the last hiring they did was about a year ago and they hired 30 air marshals. I mean, three zero. (laughs) I think half of those, half of those didn't make it through training. Wow. Now, have there been any incentives or any um, thing done by the, um, the government to extend past that, age of 57 for retirement to keep that, you know, extension of time of service for anybody? There, there are, there are a few that will, they started with federal law enforcement, not so much with the air marshal service, but they started when they were really, really young. So they'll have to do 25 years. So there, there are some in that category that can stay beyond, um, 20 years because they're not old enough to retire. They have to be a minimum age of 50. 50. But no moves to extend and let people stay on past 57. Like the Bureau does, they will, they will make some exceptions for a few years and then find other ways to use agents. But so no exceptions on that 57 for the fams. Absolutely not. Wow. No movement. No. And, and, you know, we wonder and we just reached out to the House Homeland Security because the director of the Federal Marshal Service, Mike Anderson, recently went in front of Congress and testified, we have enough adequate air marshals. We don't need any resources. So when you have the head of an agency telling Congress, no, we don't need anything. We're fine. We're, we're, we're doing great. And you're losing half of your workforce. Wow. Unbelievable. Where do you, where do you go with that? And so if somebody got on the website right now, it would show that they're, the fams are not hiring. Correct. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. we think we have seen stupid and then you hang on, you see stupid even more so than ever right. before. It, and, and I'm so thankful that you guys are going to be our partner because when you start digging into this, you know, we talk a lot about law enforcement stress and what the job on the outside brings to us, sure. right? Yes. Responding to these calls with children, responding to the family member that, you know, has has someone that's, you know, lost in their family and you're trying to help them find it. These stressors of, of the job on the outside, I think what you're going to find very interesting is the stress for the federal air marshals comes from internally and the management. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not the public and the fact of, going out to find a terrorist and what they may face there. Sure. It's what they're facing internally within the field offices itself. And this is in all 20 field offices across the nation. And yeah, this is the one thing we, one of the things we talk about in the training. And again, it's the perception is that the issues for anybody in law enforcement, state, federal, local, county, whatever, that it's going to be dealing with the bad guy or shooting somebody or whatever. And we just, in 30 years, we haven't found that to be the major stressor. The major stressor is coming from bad supervision. It's coming from crazy policies. Right. It's coming from that being a problem solver and somebody gets hurt or something that they can't prevent. It's not even humanly possible, but they still feel like they should have been able to. It's those kinds of things. And until we really get a grip on that, that those are the issues, and the, the mental wellness is going to be very, very difficult to really 
get that in a healthier place if we're only focusing on the shootings or the 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 bad guys or things. That's what people are trained to do in this right. industry. But we don't train on the other side. You know, I was really kind of surprised, and you and I may have talked about this when we first talked. Sonia, we are we are sisters from another mister, <laughs> and, and we are going to be a force to be reckoned with, honey. <laughs> yes, ma'am, we are. Because neither one of us really care. We're, we're going to do what's right for the workers. <laughs> yeah. and, and so talk to us a little bit about this in the press release you put that the federal air marshals have the highest suicide rate of the federal agencies. Tell us what's going on and what you think is contributing to that. Well, we, we, we do have the highest rate and for a, a small workforce yeah. right, right now, it's last month we had our 22nd suicide, 22, 22 federal air marshals that we're aware of that committed suicide. You know, sometimes a suicide may be staged like an accident. Yes. We, we don't know. We don't, we, we know that there's a verified 22. In what time just, frame? Within our, I would say the last 12 years. Okay. That's a lot. Bef- before, before that, they were never, we were so spread out. We didn't really talk that much. We didn't have those big lines of communication that we do now. Mm-hmm. There could potentially have been more than sure. that. We don't know from like, from like 01 to I'd say around 08. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly how many I know because I was involved with the critical incident response team starting in 06. Um, I was actually a representative for the agency when there were, when there was a super uh, suicide in the field, they would deploy me. They would deploy me to Atlanta or Los Angeles or Chicago sure. um, to help with the debriefing of the colleagues to help with funeral arrangements, uh, family benefits services you know, anything that we could try to help the family with. Mm-hmm. So I started keeping track then because I was personally involved, you know, at the agency level, because I got to meet the families and I got to meet the children, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, after, after the person completed suicide, which I'm still in touch with all of these families today, wow. all these children I've watched grown up now, they're in college, they graduated. Wow. Some of them are going into federal law enforcement too. I'm very, I'm very pleased of our connection, although I, I don't like that they've been left without a parent now sure. in their, in their life. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah. our rate of suicides high, I, I think for me, from when I look at this, the amount of isolation for the air marshals, number one on the job, mm-hmm. um, they're gone for anywhere. Let's say, let's give an average of three days a week. They go on an international it could be four days. Okay. From the time that, plane door closes. There's no communication at home. Mm -hmm. They can't help their wife, their children, or their husband or their partner. Sure. If there's an issue at home, if a child falls and breaks their, their ankle, they're not there at the emergency room helping the other parent out. They can't help take the other children to school. Sure. Um, So they're basically non-existent for part of the week Mm -hmm. when they come home. And they try to decompress. There's not really a lot of decompression time because then they have to, you know, complete the tasks that they weren't there to do for the last half of the week. 
when they go to the field office to try to do their paperwork, maybe their timesheets late, or maybe something's just not perfect when it comes to the administrative task, then they start catching heat because the supervisors in the office really don't have any duties. When I tell you they really, when, when I tell you that within the federal air marshal service, within the offices themselves, within the field offices, there is not one quest from any supervisor there to go out and catch a bad guy. There's no quest on their part to look or locate a terrorist. They have no desire to go into the field to find out what the air marshals are doing on a daily basis. Um, I'll give you a rundown of this daily schedule of a, of a, of a supervisory federal air marshal and above within the field office. Okay. They, they float into work mm, probably about 8.45-ish supposed to be there at nine, about 845-ish, 10, 15, they'll be in the gym for about two hours. You'll see them. They're all in great shape. They'll stay in the gym for about two hours. Um, they'll leave the gym, get, get fancied up with their hundred dollar haircut. They look great. They'll look in the mirror 50 times to make sure they're perfect. They'll <laughs> yep. go out into the community. They'll go to lunch together. Gotta have lunch. They'll hang out, hang out for a couple of hours at lunch. They'll come back to the field office. Federal Air Marshals may be standing around or waiting in a cubicle to have a travel voucher processed or may need to ask a question. Their supervisor is not available to them because, by the way, they're looking on the Internet to purchase a boat or where can they go for the weekend or order their new you know, what's yeah. the they got on sale today. <laughs> So they'll line the fams up outside the door like little children, you know, and this, these fams may be leaving to go to Germany. They may go to London. They actually need some administrative help or they may need some support. And I promise you, they are the last in line within this agency. Wow. There is no support for the men and the women that are out there doing the job. As a matter of fact, it is almost prohibited for anybody in the FAM service to want to do law enforcement work. They're actually discouraged. They want to be, they want them to be a witness and not sure. a participant to criminal activity. So how many years on before you can even, uh, is your journeyman level a 12 and then 13 no, is supervisory or how do they, how do they do it in the family? Okay. We're, we're on a banding system. We're in this horrible pay for performance banding system. Oh, so most air marshals that are hired on are a G band. It's that it's at one of the lower G bands. Okay. Uh, within three years, you, you can go from G band, G, H, and I. So as an I band, you're topped out in the, in the fam service as an I band, which would be the equivalent, let's say of a GS 13 step one. Okay. And a supervisor, which is a J band is a GS 14. An assistant to the special agent in charge would be a GS-15. And then, of course, we have L-bands, which would be a senior executive service. L-band um, would be equivalent to an SES. And to get to that supervisor level, do you have to write that, I love me and how wonderful I am, and that's how you get promoted? Well, a lot of what I saw, and I, I did get promoted, believe it or not, I was it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. I got promoted. Seriously. It was. That's for another whole show. <laughs> but normally, normally to get promoted, what you have to do is you have to 
showed upper management, speaking of the SAC and the ASACs, that you have drank the Kool-Aid, that you're going to bring as many um, fams to the table to discipline, to haze in the office, to make them feel um, small, that you're, you're going to demoralize your workforce. So the more you demoralize, the faster and the quicker that you move up. That's amazing. Jeez. And, you know, and again, and then they'll all sit around and scratch their heads. Gosh, wonder why nobody wants to come to work for us. Right. Uh, has the creation of the National Council deterred that at all? That now there's somebody, a group that's going to fight for these fams? We have. And we're, we're, we're actually, you know, when, when a workforce is beat down so bad mm-hmm. that they're just completely disconnected. They don't want to talk to anyone. They don't trust anyone. Exactly. Um, everyone's trying to try to get ahead and you, you put that, what is it like a survival mode every day? You're yes. already in survival mode because you're on the plane with the gun, right? Sure. That's it. You have no backup. So then you're in survival mode when you're out to dinner with your colleagues or you're working out in the gym and you have to be careful what you say. You have to be careful what you do. You have to be careful who's going to go back and, and say something or try to get you in trouble. I mean, it's almost like a mini communist society. You know, it's like what Cuba, you know, sure. if you've ever been to Cuba, I have and, and listen to the locals. They tell you that everybody, there's a reward for people telling <laughs> on each other within the government. That's the same way that it is within the Federal Air Marshal Service. That also makes it really tough to build that camaraderie that you say is really lacking in the fans. And it is. And <laughs> That's the one thing that I always had at Daytona as a police officer on the street, because you're on the radio, right? You know, when your partner needs backup, (coughs) you want, you want to be there. You want to help them. You feel um, obligated to get to that scene as quick as you can, because you're supposed to, to want to support and save, save each other when bad things happen, because there are true bad guys and bad girls out there trying to hurt you. Now Um, you said they travel in twos. Do those two usually take most trips together or that changes up every trip? They travel in two or more. So there's more. But they, is it always the same ones each trip traveling together? It so they rotates. don't really get to know each other. Nope. There's a lot of rotation that goes on. Um, in the beginning, when I uh, began to fly, they would not allow females to fly together. So we had to have a male partner. Now, that's the complete opposite of what I would have thought. Yeah. They, no, they, they, they would not allow females. You could not have a permanent partner as a female. You always had to rotate and fly with the male. Um, but in saying that there is a lot of rotation within partners. Mm-hmm. So there's inconsistency with what can I say, building that trust because right. you never know if your partner's trying to get promoted or is your partner, you know, going to get a special assignment because they come back and say that, you know, you, did something maybe that was a minor policy violation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's been a very doggy dog world wow. Gosh, that's environment. So, that's so sad. And, it you, is. and that's one of the things that I am excited about, about the partnership with you guys with under the shield, because again, I think you're going to begin to be able to get a better feel from us. Obviously we don't document or keep notes and records but we certainly are going to be able to have conversations with fams that they know won't go anywhere, but we'll get a feel 
for the types of stressors and things they're going through, that then it can really kind of narrow down the focus of even what the council might not even be aware of yet, right. you know, besides the obvious things. But I think, you know, one of the suspicions I have, and especially when we talk about suicide, has always been sleep deprivation is the number one reason we see it. And so when you're talking about people traveling, time zone changes, mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, um, you know, this is going to be affecting sleep patterns. Um, you know, what are the parameters for hours working? How? I mean, obviously, you can't have a traditional 40-hour work week, but do they try to keep them to 40 hours? Well, one thing that is really uh, another thing that we've petitioned Congress and we've tried to get change for the workforce, there are no rules and regulations for the federal air marshals. We are not governed like flight attendants and pilots who are mandated by the FAA to have rest periods. Right. Because we we fall under the Aviation Transportation Security Act, which they call ATSA, okay. which George Bush signed into law right after 9-11 as a temporary um, act to stand up national security. Because of the ATSA Act, the TSA administrator, David Pekoski, currently has near dictatorial powers in setting the schedules for the federal air marshals or allowing the agency to set the schedules. Jeez. Normally a, an air marshal has maybe eight hours on the ground to rest, mm -hmm. but if there is an operational need that can be reduced to six. Now they have, at times we have had air marshals that have flown 18, 19 hours straight and had six hours on the ground and they flew back home the next day. So there is no soft landing for them, no matter where they go. I'm telling you, this is, these patriots have been treated horribly wrong since 9-11. You know, they ran over to our country in a time of need and said, I'm standing up. I'm not going to allow this to happen. Right. Yes. And in the end, they have been treated just horribly. They've been run into the ground. It's a very unhealthy workforce, sure. sleep deprivation. I don't know of one air marshal that doesn't have it. Yep. You know, their circadian rhythm is gone. What is sure. that? You know, you fly five time zones in a week. Yep. You're in two different countries at, during a week. We've had guys that come back from Germany. They're on the ground for one day and then they leave and go to London. <laughs> Think about that. And yeah, do they get in one day? They've got one day on the ground. And because you don't, because you're salaried, do they get the equivalent of the AUO or whatever they call it on your side of the house, like the DEA and those do where 25% of your salary is built in overtime? Do they have anything like that? We do. It's called law enforcement availability pay. It's, it's, it's leap pay. Okay. So that 25% is for unscheduled work. It's for, you know, things that pop up where you may have to change your travel plans or you're on your day off or you're, having to make a hotel reservation. It's for things that are unplanned. However, the great federal air marshal service has taken that law enforcement availability pay. And instead of it being just that paying you to be available, they've scheduled air marshals to work that time. So they've actually scheduled time that they're not being paid for overtime into the law enforcement avail availability time. Wow. These guys are getting hosed everywhere you look at it. Yeah. I'm telling you, every way that you look, they never win. 
ever. Not even, the tie should go to the runner, right? When things are not, the tie should go to the runner. Uh, Treat the people right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Where's I, the incentive? Yeah. I, why is anybody still doing this job? Yeah. Thank God for them. But exactly. You know, you just go. What the driving force for this has got to be a some level of patriotism it's, that the rest of us can't yeah. even fathom. Um, it, it, and it is. They have the deepest red, white, and blue in their veins. I tell you, it is that American flag in the wind. It is when you see that flag and what it stands for and knowing what happened on 9-11, watching those four aircraft be used as a, a weapon of mass destruction, yeah. watching the devastation on the ground. You know, that was war. Yes. That was war. Drove a lot so of young people our, to the military, my yeah. son included. He was 11 years old on 9-11, and he told me then, he goes, I'm going into the military, and I'm thinking, this will pass. And then he looked <laughs> at me in church one day when a Marine walked in and dressed blues. He goes, and I'm going to be that one, and I'm going, this will pass. <laughs> and, you know, he never wavered. And, and again, you know, you just shake your head and go, that is absolutely amazing that people will do this job under these conditions, the divorce rates have to be tremendous right. with the fans. They are tremendous. They are tremendous. Wow. And, you know, you just think about the, I think about the lack of training that law enforcement officers, state, federal, local, that spouses don't get much training. And now in this, I bet they, I bet there hadn't been a fam spouse who's had any kind of training. There's no group for fam spouses. Um, there's no training. There's no, there is no avenue other than the EAP, which is normally for the, for the fam, you know, when they have an issue or they've been referred, right. but there's no avenue to family counseling, like what you provided under the shield. And I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and, you know, you guys have saved so many marriages, not because you had magic words. It's because you listened and you understood the components from every angle, right? Everybody yes. has their side of the story. Yes. Everybody does. And they have their own emotions, their own feelings. It's genuine to them. I have watched air marshals cycle through 20 years and never get to spend time with their newborn babies who are grown now that don't even know who their father are. Wow. Because they've been deployed. You got to look, air marshals are deployed. We're not working a nine to five Monday through Friday. They've on, they're on a 20 year deployment. What soldiers <laughs> deployed for 20 years yeah. with no break? What a way to put it though, but that it's really true. describes it. Yeah. yeah. And Tom was air force. So he understands this. And yeah, I mean, good grief. One of the things that I really want to focus on too, now having heard all this, I, boy, we got some work to do. <laughs> That's ladies. what I was thinking. We got <laughs> some work to do. You know, when you see fams and that actually have marriages that have sustained this, if there are any, um, and they're getting close to retirement, do you think these are going to be guys and gals that are going to be willing to become stress coaches with us to be able to give back? To the because yeah this is a very specialized population sure you know there there's some similar things but it's kind of hard to relate right off to it and but I, I think it's going to be really important to get some on board here at Under the Shield who can have the huge impact right because they've lived that they've life lived it, yeah. yes 
Well, not only are, I, I think there are couples that, that have made it through this. I think their grown adult children would come on board too. Mm. Sure. Um, we have, we have a lot of children in this, in this agency that have been affected by this. We sure. have a lot of teenage children now mm-hmm. that are trying to understand why their mom or their dad's not ever home. And when they are home, they're beyond exhausted and mm-hmm. can't seem to, you know, be motivated to do anything because they're, they're exhausted. Um, there's a lot of medical issues that are happening right now. Guys are just flying themselves to death because they don't know what else to do to make it to retirement. Right. Sure. They're just trying to hold on to the fourth quarter, which is coming up for many of them in 2022. And I, so I think you're going to see quite a few that will volunteer to come over. They've already reached out to me since We did an internal email yesterday. Mm -hmm. A lot of people already know you, Susan, and the work you're doing at Under the Shield, and they just say you're great folks. Well, we're we're just excited and honored about hoping that they'll reach out because, like I said, I think there are going to be some perspectives we'll be able to get that the license world that they've dealt with, whether through EAP or uh, whatever, they may not be comfortable telling them that they'll tell us that then opens the door for us to do additional research, even on ways to help them. Right. And it's going to be real important to, to get those guys and gals um, on board to educate us. And that is something that, you know, son, you and I are going to wind up on a plane going from one city to the next. And, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to be a Bonnie and Clyde of two females. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Let me tell you, with all the law enforcement funerals that I've gone to, Susan, in my career, from in the line of duty death to suicides, to watching the family unit be destroyed, um, all, all because the tools aren't in place, I will get on a plane and go with you anywhere. Absolutely. And if that's what it takes to try to help put some tools in the toolbox so I can watch my friends grow old, Yes. And enjoy their life and enjoy the next chapter in their life beyond what they're doing now. Hey, I'm all in. Well, and, you know, to retire at 57 and you think what quality of life can someone have after 20 years of this? It has to age them. I I know (laughs) having worked with all the major airlines, the federal flight deck officers, you know, I know there's a high rate with pilots and flight attendants of cancer and things like that that are stress-induced. That's something else that I was curious about, if you've had a lot of people with cancer. We have. we, And we've had some very sh- strange, like, uh, Hashimoto-style issues and thyroid issues, which yes. is usually a female issue. I don't, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm just saying with the... Co- the workers' comp claims that we help handle within the field. Um, there's not just one condition, though. It's like one part of the stress breaks down. It's from skin cancer to I- any type of radiation to where we have some air marshals whose eyesight, because they're up in the plane, the pressure of the cabins, you know, is is affecting their eyesight. Sure. They're hearing. They're, yeah, they're retiring at 57, but they can't hear. Like they're hearing, they're, they're going deaf. All these things are happening. And I can't wait for you to get in, you and Tom to get in and meet some of the air marshals and meet their spouses. I mean, you already know a few, mm-hmm. Susan, and, and what they had to go through within this agency when they were extremely ill. 
Yes. You would have thought in, in a law enforcement community where I came from prior, and I keep going back to Daytona because that is a place that was very supportive and, and, and felt like a family or felt like there was a support system. When air marshals get ill in, within the FAM service, it's almost like a feeding frenzy. It's like Shark Week. They are ripped apart within the office yeah. by their management. And the management does everything within their power to ensure that person is not just out of the building. They're buried under the building. Um, they're stripped away from their titles, their, who they are. They're degraded and made to feel as if they're unworthy of filing a claim because they've been injured on the job or they've got cancer or something you know, terrible has happened. And Susan, you, I won't mention any names, but you've, you've, you've spoken to some of the air marshals yes. and what they have gone through and they are warriors. They made it out. They Absolutely. survived it. Yes. But there's many, that, there's many that didn't. Well, it was one that introduced you and I and someone exactly we've had correct. on this podcast. And, and it, it, I, it's just almost hard to even wrap your brain around how supervisors, obviously y'all have a problem with leadership. Right. You got a bunch of, you got a bunch of supervisors, but they're not leaders. Exactly. Yeah. We're leaderless. Yes. When I tell you we're, we're leaderless, I really mean that we're, we're, <laughs> from the most fondest part of my heart. When I talk about being leaderless, I've never been in an agency so big that can spend a billion dollars a year. Yet I look around and I see no leaders, none. Have you ever, or this is just an, an incestuous problem that's gone on as long as you've been around. There was one leader and he, his name was Dennis Holly. He was a, he was a SAC, and he was in charge of the critical incident response team in the very beginning when I was on the team in 2006. Um, he was a great guy. He was a man that was a faith based person. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, he was ethical, but I think that he also wanted to do what was right within the workforce. And when there was a suicide or a death of natural causes or by one's own hand. Um, Dennis Holly really stepped up to the plate. Wow. So I can say that there was one individual in my career that I looked at with respect and I knew that they would do the right thing for not only the air marshal and the accolades that they had earned throughout their career, mm -hmm. but also to try to help the family find some comfort and peace at that time of, of mourning. So he, he was a really good guy. One in 20 years, though. I mean, that's crazy. Well, good, good thing I'm not intimidated by rank and supervisor and sacks and ASACs and racks and all that stuff because they put on their pants like everybody else. Because exactly. I got a feeling some of them probably aren't going to like me, but that's okay because that usually... They're usually my best PR, to be honest <laughs> with you. The less they like me, the more the, the worker bees do like me. And so, again, you know, I'm not somebody intimate. I work for me. Um, it isn't like they can fire me. <laughs> and so, That's what I say. What, what are you going to do? Exactly. Put, show me the door. Yeah. Bring it on. Right. Bring it on. Absolutely. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. You know, threaten me with a good time. What are you going to do? Come right. On. And so, it, you, you know, know somebody has got to step up for this crew and exactly and help out. Well, and, they stepped up. Yep. They stepped up, Susan and Tom. They stepped up for 9-11. Yeah. They deserve 
our commitment. They deserve our commitment as a patriot. If we do nothing more in our entire life than to be there for our patriots, I have done my job. Yes. I've done my job. And that's going to be a a big goal of ours now because I understand even more now the importance and the significance (laughs) of Under the Shield coming in, not as therapists, but as stress coaches, to be there to help educate and provide information in things, certainly not how to be a fam, but how to be a healthier one, how to have healthier families, even in the limited time, but to make sure that physiologically that all the, you know, when you look at our definition of stress (laughs) and it's change, my gosh, look at the change they go through. That's all it is. Elevation. Yeah. And everything, the pressure of the cabins, sleep cycles, time zones, there isn't anything that isn't affected by that. Right. And so this is this is going to be a really uh, golden opportunity <laughs> for us, I think. Yeah. And we just are, are like I said, we're honored to to be joining this fight with you. Uh, how appropriate a name, fight in progress, and we're here talking about <laughs> probably one of the biggest fights. I've heard of yeah. within the industry and thank heavens for the council being there um, and starting to provide things for them that they haven't necessarily had in the past or had to have, be a member of other groups that they got lumped into all the federal stuff. Um, now you mentioned to me something about that the national council is going to be merging with another group. Well, Susan, we have been so successful with the Air Marshal National Council. We've had other federal law enforcement reach out and we've built a group called the Federal Security Council, which will be the sister organization to the Air Marshal National Council because our bylaws were only set up for air marshals. When we when we started doing this, mm-hmm. by no means did we have any idea that it would take off or do so well, we were just trying to protect our own within within the FAM service, within the 20 field offices that we had. Sure. But we've gotten requests and we have started the Federal Security Council. We are we welcomed aboard the U.S. Marshal Service, the Department of Energy, uh, EPA, Homeland Security Investigations. Wow. So now we have other federal law enforcement that are coming to our group because we are going to fight for them. We're we are aggressive. We're going to fight for them if it's a grievance within the field office, if it's a, if it's an assignment where they deserve to have that assignment, whether it's a workers' comp claim, uh, whether they need administrative leave, whether they need time off, whether they need family medical leave. And you just don't find that in today's unions. And I've been right. a part of every union from Teamsters Local 385 in Daytona to um, other federal unions. I have to tell you that performance has been lackluster. Mm-hmm. I, when you pick the phone up and you need help, you need to speak to a person. You yes. need to get routed to an, a phone. Oh, well, if you need someone pass press three <laughs> or send us an email, you know, when you're an air marshal or a federal agent, and you're sitting there and you've been involved with a shooting or there's a critical incident and you need an attorney and you need advice immediately, or they're calling you in to sign an affidavit because of something you witnessed that happened on a scene. Yes. You need help right then. Yes. And we answer the phone and that's what we do. And we've been so successful because we care. We care what's happening every day. We care. 
well, you know, good grief on the regular side of law enforcement, odds are they're going to reach out once. But when you're talking about the fams, they may not be on the ground, but a few hours and yeah. available. They better get somebody because yeah, they don't g- they don't have time for yeah, people to call back later. And That's right. you know, this is one of the complaints we've had even with in agencies here in the valley of people waiting three weeks a month to even get a phone call back um, from a resource where they've reached out. And I said, you know, and then they're even resistant to us because why are we different? And that's what I tell them. I'm going to get back to you within a few hours at the latest, hopefully. Um, But these, these guys and gals deserve somebody to be on the other end of the phone when they call. And, and as an organization, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Mm-hmm. That's, we're going to do what we say we do. If you need something and you're our member, we're going to provide you the assistance you need, not only one time, but in th- and through the entire process, sure. right? Sure. No matter what it is. It could take a year and a half for us to get a, an issue resolved, whether it's a worker's comp plan that's been filed and they can't get it open because the medical evidence is lacking. No matter what the issue is, mm-hmm. we own that issue too. It's not their issue. It's our issue. Right. 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 We work through it together. And that's why we call it stress coaching. We're in the game with you. We're not sitting right. in some ivory tower, uh, you know, calling plays. We're down there with you. My son's the most effective coaches he had in ice hockey were the guys on the ice showing them, not not sitting up someplace trying to figure up some kind of fancy play or something. And that's that's what we do. And, you know, one of the things that I would encourage you to even add and should have picked up on this last night, but um, the 855 number that we have, because that is a 24-7 number. They are going, if they hit extension one, first what they need to understand is their phone number is not going to show up on the stress coach's phone. We have the system set up where it routes through our office in Mesa, and when they hit extension one, the number they actually dial, the 855 number, is what comes up on my phone or Tom's phone or David Cohen in Alabama's phone. We don't even have their phone number. That's how strict we are about anonymity, that they don't have to worry about anything getting back to any supervisor or anybody else. The families can call these numbers. Uh, We have spouses of law enforcement. Again, we need to get some spouses trained in the fam. uh, Because having been the wife of a DE agent for 20 years, he he wasn't the only one carrying that badge. <laughs> I always wondered right. where my badge was. Um, and I think spouses ought to have them, to be honest. But it probably wouldn't have been a good idea for Susan to have a DEA badge. <laughs> It'd have been fun. Um, but, you know, this is, again, it's a lifestyle. But, but their lifestyle is even more of a lifestyle than most. Right. It's drastically different from my 27 years. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean- and... So this is this is something that we really want to hone in and, and focus. We we don't want you to have another suicide. We right. we have partnered up now, and that's one of the things we've been very proud of at Under the Shield is that places where we are working directly with the law enforcement um, have not had a suicide, and we like to think that's because we're giving information to people and they feel safe calling us and talking to us, and we're not just Oh, how does that make you feel? But hey, here's some things that may be going on and here's some stuff you can do. And it's helping them. It's, and it works. Right. And it works. I would I would love every fam to 
I, I don't even have to have them take it, but it'd be fun for them to see it. But the adrenal quiz, <laughs> I guarantee every one of your fans has adrenal insufficiency, probably completely crashed. And there are things we can give them that help with that, which gives energy. It's There's all kinds of stuff. And a lot of this, we will also get to educate them on in the training. Um, but this is something that we're right there with you, ready to hit the ground running. And again, if they're listening, I don't know if y'all have a way of putting out the podcast for them to be able to hear it. Yes, ma'am, we will. We'll, we will put the podcast out and it, we'll make sure all our members will do another email blast, having the 855 number on there. Yes. I want to get Tom know that introduced this- on there also. We'll get his information. Um, out. Do, do you think that the guys and gals that are married are in relationships that they pass information on because we want those spouses and significant others. Please don't have both of them call me because I'll get you in trouble because I'll get it confused. I promise one at a time, one problem at a time, please. Um, but do you think they pass information like this on to them? They do. Good. They, I, I know that there's a, there's the, you know, there's always the, the network the, that is working behind the scenes with the spouses. And uh, we will definitely make sure that we get the information to the, to our members not only to the air marshals, but to the U.S. marshals and the Department of Energy and anybody, any other special agent or any other federal law enforcement or administrative support staff. You know, one thing we don't want to leave out are the good guys and girls within the office that are not supervisors that do help the fams every day. Sure. You know, our administrative support staff deserves to be recognized sure. because they are the ones that are the lifeline for the air marshals in the office. So, you know, we, we want to extend services to them as well, because we couldn't do it without our good people out there. They're not all bad, but in saying that the ones that we deal at supervisory level and above 99%, not, not, not good. Sure. Is there, not good? I assume that we have a field office or something here somewhere in Arizona. Uh, would there be an opportunity for us to try to get with some of the fams even out here? Uh, take the closest lunch? one to you guys would be Vegas. They had a rack office and they closed it down. But really? the closest one would be Vegas. Gosh, I would have thought Phoenix um, would yeah. have had one. When you would, well, we would have thought that too. Um, we would have we would have thought that too because one thing that happened when they stood the air marshals up after September the 11th. What they really didn't need was the field offices. You know, this is a mobile workforce. The field offices could have, these guys could have, and girls could have responded from anywhere in the country to sure. go to an airport to catch on, a, to jump on a plane to catch a mission. Sure. Look at all the coverage we would have had yeah. without having them, you know, set in Atlanta, having to be in a field office in Atlanta for them to respond to a field office that's more than, you know, it's just a plaque hanger. It's for, it's for the supervisors and the, the sacks to plank, to hang their plaques and the look at me, the love me, sure. you know, walls. It, it has no value. The air marshals, there's no value for a federal air marshal to have a concrete building that they respond to, to do their timesheet when they can do that being mobile. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have air marshals should be flying out of every air, air, airport across the United States with the numbers of flights that we have over 40,000 a day. They should not be concreted down to fly out of one airport. True. and be based out of that airport. It, it made no sense when they stood this agency up to put, put them in these permanent offices. Wow. 
Well, Sonia, I tell you, you've given us a lot to think about, and my brain is sure. just rolling, and I'm 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 ready to go out to the airport and get on a plane and go somewhere <laughs> and meet and find it. Get up. Who's the fam on board? Yeah, right. That'd work out really well. But um, and I'm you know, <laughs> there have been times before I have pinned them in the airport <laughs> and had conversations because I figured it out. Um, but this is just something like I said. I, I, we are both, all of us at Under the Shield are honored that yes, we are. Y'all would even want to partner with us. You're the first federal union, association, whatever we want to call it, council to bring us on board. Um, And so we are going to do everything in our power to make sure that your people get what they need. We just need them to reach out to us and their families. And again, they just have to understand there's no notes, there's no records we're not document. We're not mandated reporters on purpose. We are here to, as educators or coaches, um, which is a better term than therapist. Is it a play on terms? Probably. <laughs> um, but the reality is, is that if we don't have the answers, we will find someone who does. And 99% of the time, I think we find the answers here at Under the Shield with somebody. Right. And we've got military. We've got it all. And... We just want to make sure we get some of your people trained as stress coaches so that when they're running into each other in airports and stuff, they've got some information they can pass on to somebody. Well, we need it. We need it, Susan and Tom. And, and hey, we're, we're in desperate need of folks on the outside understanding what's happened on the inside. It's been a 20-year secret Mm-hmm. And it's time to let that secret out. It's 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 toxic the more it's held in within the workforce and to try to help them move on to the next stage of their life. We got to help them purge. We got to help them purge what's happened. What are there subcommittees within Congress? Not that I have a lot of faith there, but are there subcommittees and groups and certain senators and Congress people that have a real heart for the fams that you and I can schedule some time with at some point, whether it's on zoom or we go to DC or whatever. Yes, ma'am. There, there, there are quite a few that are big proponents. Uh, uh, Congressman Andy Kim, we were successful last year in passing a, an amendment to HR 1140, which requires the federal air marshal service to work with organizations and groups outside the fams in regards to mental health and well-being of the federal air marshals. So we, we do have um, some supporters in Congress for mental health for the federal air marshals. Okay. So we can definitely put some legislative trips together. And I think it's, like I said, it's important for those, not just the FAMs to come out and say this or let Congress know, but other Americans that this yes. is going to affect Absolutely. To come forward too and show their concern for what's happening to our patriots here in this in, internally. Because um, the public doesn't know. No, I, I'm I, still blown away by what I'm hearing well, from you, Sonia. It's and, just. And again, it's and amazing. I've been involved off and on since 9 11 with FAMS, with the aviation industry, with the federal flight deck officers. And I've never been told any of this. I had no idea it was at the level that you are right. explaining to us today. So, you know, Joe Schmo walking down the street Has doesn't have no a clue. clue. And, the, and I'm sure they think there's a fam on every flight, yep. probably five or six on every flight. And they they don't have a clue about what 
is happening here. How about Congressman Andy Biggs? Have you dealt with him at all out of Arizona? I have not. I'm not I am I'm not familiar unless he works on a committee. This is the thing with TSA. There's only certain committees that have oversight within TSA. Okay. So if Mr. Biggs is sitting on one of our, our the committees, the oversight uh, office of government reform, we can check to see okay. if he's on one of those specific committees um, and we can work with him. But if you've got a great contact there, hey, open the door. I'm, Absolutely. Every congressman and every senator does have a part of this, whether they're on a committee. It's just the oversight of TSA is very limited to those certain committees. Mm-hmm. But as a, a, a constituent there, Susan and Tom, in Arizona, of course, Congress and the senators there should have some type of idea what's actually going on within the FAM service and what's happening to our workforce. He's very pro-law enforcement. I've worked on some things out of his office with him before. He's very pro-law enforcement and military. And I, I will be on a phone with some people in his office tomorrow asking this question about trying to get with him. And maybe it's something you and I can schedule and Tom can go in there and, and talk to him. You know, I just want the feds to understand and the Congress people to understand doing things the way we've always done them is not working in the mental wellness field. And there is something new out there. There is something different in the way we are handling it. Again, not eliminating, but bringing something new to the table. And they've got to stop doing the same stuff over and over and over again. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw the, the bipartisan bill that the president signed recently. And it it's developing another peer support program. How many peer support programs do we need? <laughs> and it's the same stuff over and over and over again. And it's because they don't know what they don't know. And, you know, I think I was even telling you that the Department of Justice and BJA had a grant out a year ago that the state of Alabama Department of Corrections researched for a year looking for a preemptive, proactive program that was more than just peer support. And under the Shields program for stress coaching was the only thing they found in the entire country. And this is why we're so excited to be finally getting some recognition on the side of the feds with you guys, because hopefully we can open these doors and educate people that we're just missing a tier here. That That's what this is. It's not eliminating. It's bringing more to the table. And it's time to make some changes. And we want to we want to start with you guys and do that and help every way that we possibly can. Well, our, our federal air marshals deserve our commitment for their story to be told. Absolutely. And to allow them the time and the ability to decompress and try to transition from what they've been through in the last 20 years. Sure. And um, I appreciate you and Tom having me tonight, being part of Under the Shield. Absolutely. I look forward to this resource for our membership and their families, not just our members, but their families, because they are a unit. Absolutely. You have to do the whole lifestyle. Right. And and if there are any fams that would be willing to come on here that we would have to do it anonymously, obviously. Um, we even, I'm sure Jake and our producer can even figure out a way to change the voice if we sure. need to. Um, we would love to have someone come on and, and give us an idea of the day of in their life right 
I, Susan, I can line them up for you. Just <laughs> let me know. I, Awesome. Because it's it's very important to hear in their own words what they've gone through. I can only yeah. tell you what my perception of what sure. they've gone through and what I've witnessed. Sure. But to hear the men and the women actually come forward and tell their story in their own words, it's it's why we keep doing what we do every day to help them. Well, we're in the fight with you. And again, that's what this podcast is all about. And we are we are there. And we'll be available every opportunity. Anybody needs anything, they can call us in the middle of the night. Someone will answer the phone, more than likely me, <laughs> unless I'm on another call, and then someone else will answer. Um, but they will they will not get an answering machine if they hit extension one that says, leave us a message, we'll get back to you. I appreciate that because it's very we're we're at a pretty critical state sure. um, for the air marshals right now, and they they need they need that voice at the other end of the line. No, um, no doubt. They need it. No doubt. And I'm sure we'll be having you back on the podcast in the near future. And as you have now welcomed to the Under the Shield family, you and everyone <laughs> at the council and all of the fams and, and their families out there now are a part of us. And you know me, I think, well enough to know I'm like a pit bull. I don't turn loose till I get people where I want them. <laughs> I love it. And look, look. I need you to chew on some of these people over here. Let me tell you, lady. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's been a while since I've been able to chew on a, on a supervisor. So, honey, I'm hungry oh. for it and ready because they won't win this fight. Not I've got one up in WFO, Dwayne Trout, who's a special agent in charge that I promise you. Please bring that on. I'm, I'm ready. Yes. Yes, I am ready. I, I've got my red man stick with me and I'm ready. <laughs> oh, I'm loving that. <laughs> well, Sonia, thank you again. And we will be in touch. We'll be sending you some additional information on Tom. Uh, you have, I believe you have the 855 number or um, we give it out here. It's 855-889-2348. Uh, I give my cell 334 three two four three five seven zero uh nobody picks up my cell but me I hadn't taught the german shepherd how to do that yet <laughs> that might be my next trip uh but i just want everyone to know that we appreciate everyone in law enforcement the sacrifices that are made especially now realizing the sacrifices of the fams and their families we are just wanting to be here to help every way we can because that's a group that definitely deserves this. And we're just honored to partner up with you. And we're going to start to make life better for those fams and their families and everybody else in law enforcement that will reach out to us. Well, it's, it's, it's a fabulous connection that's been made that's going to do a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, so we're excited about moving forward with, with Under the Shield. And Tom, thank you for your service in the military. Brother, appreciate that. Sure. Um, 27 years, Well, long I, time. No, I did 10 years in the military and 27 years law enforcement. He was a motor cop. Oh. That's why I call him Poncharello. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, so that's right. So, you know, there's only two kind of motor, motor men, right? 
right. ones that have been down and ones that are going down. I, I've, I've been down. <laughs> yes. <so. laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty serious. I thought she was going to say those that are assholes and those that are really assholes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I fall into that category too sometimes. <laughs> Depends if they got a ticket book in their hand. Now, if they don't have the ticket book in their hand, they're pretty cool. But when they get out and they got the ticket book, they're done. Yeah. I thought that was permanently implanted into their hands. But Yeah, if the kickstand goes down, usually the trouble. ticket book comes out. Yep, you're in trouble. Well, Sonia, thank you again. We will be back in touch with you. And again, to everyone out there, we love you and appreciate you joining us. And next week, be back. We've got a, a guest lined up that actually, Tom, you have have uh, organized to be here. You want to give them a teaser on it at all? Um, no. Okay. No. But somebody's been in some stuff. Yes. So, yes. Yep. So Pretty unique situation. So stay tuned for that. And again, thank you for your sacrifices. Thank you for all that you do and families as well. We love you guys and hope you'll join us next week. And if you need to reach yes, me. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah, Tom's number. If you need to reach me, my phone number is 480-861-6574. Take care and stay safe. God bless. Good night.